Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the journey we're about to take together. I'm very excited because we've spent a long time preparing for you as a team, and we've spent some time here at the first of the year getting ready, getting started, and the journey is about to begin. We start officially next weekend, but this weekend is still a time of preparation where when you're going to take a journey, you gotta make sure you have everything you need and everyone knows where we're going. And we're talking about this topic that is so important to your journey, to your life, to your spiritual life with God. And what I love to say too is because I've taken several of these spiritual campaign journeys where we do it together, where all of us do it together, all the way from teenagers to young people down to kids, and I've seen how the impact of the way God really meets us and he shows up to really help us and to put something into the spiritual formation of our lives. So it's not theory for me, I know it's going to happen if you'll just avail yourself to the process and say, okay, I'm ready, and you'll jump into the process. I wanna welcome those watching by video, welcome those online, welcome our McKinney campus. Would you join me in welcoming them as well? They're going on the journey with us. We want all of you to participate as well. If you have your Bibles, I'm gonna ask you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 64. We're gonna look at a verse there, really two verses in Isaiah together as we get started here in thinking about this question, who am I? I have a little commitment card for you as well that's there in your bulletin. If you have one, wave it at me, everybody that got one of those on your way in. Well, this is what is there for you. I've had a lot of questions for people from people as I've been shaking hands and meeting a lot of you. There's still a little bit of, okay, what is this? What are you, what, why is it a spiritual campaign? What are we trying to do? Well, first of all, I'm gonna ask you to attend the message series. And so I am starting us on the journey. I'm preaching from part one of the book where that helps us with this question and how do we find some answers to the question? And, uh, and I'm gonna ask you to attend the message series that sync up with part two of the book. And I'm gonna walk you through those here in just a moment so you can see every single area that we're gonna be talking about together. I'm gonna ask you to get the book. I unapologetically ask you to get the book. I'm not taking resources from the book. All of the money that you give goes back into helping us create more resources so that we can take more of these journeys together along the way. Uh, but I have been working on it. Our team has been working on it. We were thinking about you over a year ago to try to help you with this important question. So I'm gonna ask you to get a book and get one for your friends. And then I'm gonna ask you to participate in a small group. And so this is just a six week process that starts next weekend and there are groups at all different times and different places and so you can jump in and uh, maybe you wanna host a group. I do all the heavy lifting for you. In fact, the, the, the study we're gonna have together, I shot it in a small group context. So it's like you're at my small group and we're all at it together and really you're just facilitating the discussion around the topic that we'll walk through, and so I wanna give you those topics that we're gonna to do together. Where are we going on this six-week journey? Well, week one, starting next week, we're gonna talk about 
this who am I question in the practical areas of our lives. Who am I when I think I don't measure up? Who am I when I'm struggling with that? Who am I when I'm compared to others? So much comparison in our world today and all of us struggle with comparison. Week three, who am I when I feel alone? That week you're gonna hear probably one of my life messages that I love to preach and talk to you about the importance of divine relationships and how God helps to shape our identity in him through relationships with others. Who am I when I failed? Probably one of the biggest things that stop us in the formation of our identity in our lives is when we make mistakes, when we fail. Who am I now? Am I a failure or did I just fail? And who am I when I don't feel happy? So many things that could make us in our life feel more fulfilled, but more people today who say, I'm just not happy. Well, we're gonna unpack that and look at how that shapes our identity as well. And then week six, we're gonna talk about the area, there's actually three chapters in the book, the area that shapes our identity the most, the people we care about their opinion the most, and that is who am I with my family? Now tucked into that section of the book is also something that again shows you this is a journey for all and uh, that is there's a section in the book and, and one chapter that I write to teenagers. Who am I in my teens? And I wanna encourage you if you have a teenager that this Wednesday night I'll be speaking to all of our teenagers. There's a huge group of teenagers that attend Milestone Church, 800 to 1,000 of them. I'm hoping we have a record crowd. Um, and we're gonna, we're gonna talk about, I've signed several of these books, and uh, I believe today with the, just the way culture is, there's a, there's a larger, more difficult fight for teenagers and their identity. And so I have a passion for them. In fact, I signed the book, I'd put their name there and say, hey, when I wrote this chapter, I was thinking about you. And I want you to read this. The whole book's for you, but I want you to read this chapter and when you read it, I want you to circle your name. And so also what's encouraging, if you're the parent of a teenager, you can tune in live because I'm gonna get them talking a little bit about what they're facing and I'm gonna give you some education because no matter how much education you have, you don't know what they're facing. I'm gonna say it again. You don't know what they're facing. Some of you say, well, I don't have teenagers. Well, it's a good time to start preparing <laughs> now. So I'm gonna give some of you about to face that, some of you in that, a little preparation, and we're gonna have a great dialogue together and uh, I even wrote the book with teenagers in mind as well, and for some of you who say, look, I don't like to read, I don't know if I can really get to the book, I got a lot going on, I made the chapters short, they're kind of easy to read, you'll be through with the chapter before you know it, it's intriguing, it's easy to read, I understand we live in a world today where a lot of people don't read, but I was also thinking about some of you that when you were in school, you liked the cliff notes. How many of y'all? Use the cliff notes. Yeah, be honest in church. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> and so at the end of every chapter on that week where you can't quite get to the chapter, I have a section where I say, if we were having a cup of coffee, here's just what I'm trying to tell you in short form, okay? I give you the quick edited version, but I just wanna encourage you to go on this journey because I believe God wants to meet us. It's a it's a question we're all asking. It's hidden. Last week I talked about our 
purpose in the book of Proverbs chapter 20, verse five. There's purposes in our hearts, but it's down in the deep waters and God wants to bring it out. He brings it out through insight and wisdom. And so we're all asking this question, who am I? In fact, any person who thinks at all, any person who has any level of awareness along the way in life, you start asking really a series of questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? And what am I supposed to do here? Mark Twain told us these questions are important and it's been shared by multiple people. It's the, the most important date in your life is not just the day in which you are born, but the day that you figure out why you're here. Why, why am I here? What is the purposes that God put down deep in my heart? And again, we don't like to publicize the fact that we struggle with that sometimes, especially in seasons of transitions in our lives. It's challenging as we start growing up. It's challenging through adolescence. It's challenging as we then have some success. It's challenging as we move into new phases of life. It's challenging when you have a job situation or circumstance that you didn't expect. It's challenging when life doesn't go the way that you expected it to go. It's challenging as you have to leave behind some things in life to move to a new phase of life. And you're wondering, who am I if I retire? Who am I if I sell the company? Who am I if my kids move out? Who am I now, because I found so much identity in this, who am I before I'm married? Who am I when I'm married? All these things in life and going through challenges and family struggles and circumstances. And so we, we struggle with, am I becoming the person that God's called me to be? Am I staying true to who God has called me to be? And whether we admit it or not, we care about the opinions of others. We care about whether or not we are succeeding at becoming that true version or not, and do others think that I'm becoming that true version? We care about their opinions. I remember the first time I became aware of this, at least one event that marked me. We all have one of those embarrassing moments, stories that mark our identity. Guys come to them a little later than girls because those of you raising girls and boys, boys are just like out to lunch for like a long time. They don't know what anybody's thinking because guess what, their, their brain's not even on. But girls are a little bit more aware, you know, and so they start thinking about how they look and how they present and their appearance a little bit more. You know, the guys are just like, what's up? You know, they're just like, whoa, whoa, where are we going? You know, did you comb your hair? Ah, who cares, you know, I mean, they're just, I had one of those, and, but, but young guys, when they become a little more aware is at that moment they start noticing girls. And uh, I remember on the playground, I don't know, I remember that moment where I showed up and I had on some, some jeans. By the way, jeans are kind of one of these fashion statements, you know, for young people. What kind of jeans do you wear? We go from, you know, baggy to tight. Um, but when I was growing up, there were no fashion jeans available for young guys, at least in my household. My mom, she bought me two pair, not, not the night, not, no fashion, just she wanted the toughest, most durable pair she could find. 
You could stand them up in the corner. I don't know, they're made out of like plastic or something. You know, it's just, 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 just tough skin, so she didn't have to sew patches. I had on a pair of these. I don't know what they were, what brand, some off-brand. You know, you're walking around stiff-legged and <laughs> sitting on the playground, and there were some girls there and different people, and I decided it was time for me to show my strength and ability. There were a set of hurdles over there. And I thought, I, you know, I mean, I need to show up for the track team and these girls need to see my ability to go over a hurdle, which I am not shaped now for hurdles and I was worse then. <laughs> I didn't have any behind, so my tough skins were busting the LA sag before it was cool. So I had a lot of potential challenges. I got up, kind of I was a little dumpy kid with the big head. When I got my balance, I took off for that hurdle. When I went over that hurdle, I must have generated some massive amounts of force because I ripped my tough skins right up the back. <laughs> it was the first moment I was aware of my perception of others. I thought, I'll never have a chance with any of these girls. They, I am now the school idiot with the ripped pants. Took them home to mom, said I need a new pair. She said, no, we're sewing them up. You're gonna keep wearing them. But anyway. <laughs> You know, as humorous as it is, we all, we all have those life moments. Those, that's why we love blooper reels and we love embarrassing stories and we love to tell, you know, it's one of the great icebreakers in a small group, what's your most embarrassing moment? And it's funny in the rear view mirror, but when you're living it, you're like, has this shaped everyone's perspective of me? And so we have those in life and we still have them even as we grow along and so over, this journey together, we've been looking at it, and last week I introduced it, but now I want us this week to find some answers. This message is so foundational to everything we're gonna talk about the next few weeks. Because we all have the questions, we have the moments, we have the embarrassment, we have all of it going on, but where do we find the answers? And so I told you to turn there to the book of Isaiah. Let's start digging in where do I find the answers? Because I have the emotions I have the questions, I have the fears, but where do we find the answers? Isaiah 64, eight says, yet you, Lord, are our Father. Important what the prophet's saying to this group of people, because you may not know the context, I always love to give you the context, we don't just wanna pluck this out of what it was originally meant to say, but this is the prophet of God who's speaking for God to the people of God, and the people of God have found themselves in disobedience and they've been attracted to the behaviors and different things of other people and other gods, so they found themselves being removed from their homes and land and put in exile. So they're living in a foreign place and so they've lost a little bit of their identity due to their unwillingness to follow God. God wants his people to reflect him and his glory and his plan and his pattern. But now they've gone off away from it, and so this is very timely to them, but it's also timely to us. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. A metaphor that the prophet uses, a picture that's also translated into the New Testament, this idea of God who's a potter and we are the clay that he's shaping. It's an ancient custom, 
a tradition, it's a custom that happened for many, many years, and it's interesting, this clay, this, this clay is, is, is dirt, yes, but it's, it's when a sediment, a, a sediment of rock that's been crushed over time and water comes together in a unique way, and then it becomes a substance that is now moldable. And for centuries, potters have shaped it, but it does not become pottery until it is under fire. When it comes under fire, now it becomes something useful along the way. Not only is it something that has happened for centuries and it's an ancient custom, it's also something that has made its way more prevalent into our modern world. I saw a news article from the New York Times that in New York, there's this phrase now that pottery is the new Pilates. And so people have found that doing pottery is a stress relief. And if you look on social media, there's these people with like thousands of followers who are like shaping pots. And so people have 24-hour pottery studios where they go and they shape these pots along the way. Here's, here's the thing though, just getting you thinking about the metaphor, thinking about what God's saying to us. If you've ever seen someone throw a pot, if you ever seen, that's what you call it, throw a pot, there starts with this formless chunk of substance, but then through water and pressure and the speed of the wheel, the pot begins to take shape. And one of the things that's always fascinating to me is that what you think it's going to be, or you start suspecting that it is, it doesn't always become. It's like in the process, there's the shaping. You're like, oh, that's gonna be a little big bowl. That's gonna be a pot. And then all of a sudden, with tools and pressure, it can become a vase. It can become something large. It can change. It can change all due to the shaping and the pressure of the potter. So you say, why would God give us this image and why is it important for us to know, wait a minute, I'm the clay, he's the potter. Because right here we're starting to get answers in our identity and here it is. In order to discover the best version of who you were created to be, you have to start with God knows me better than I know me. God knows me better than my perspectives of me, my feelings about me, my design for me. God knows it better. Now, right off the bat, we start going, wait a minute, Jeff. I thought I understand where I'm going and who I am and what I should do. And, of course, the hurts of our, our lives, the pressure of our lives, the different things that have been spoken into our lives cause us to exert pressure over our own clay. And we're just not that good a potter. We're not that good of a designer. God knows us better than we know us. And the temptation is to take over the wheel. The temptation is to take over the design. And Isaiah addresses that as well in Isaiah 45, nine says this, what sorrow awaits. I want you to hear this right here. If we're gonna take this journey and look at all these different areas, we have to lay this foundation. And I want you to hear it not as corrective, but very pastoral. As I've prayed for you, as I've thought about you, Look, if you take over the design of your life, sorrow awaits you. Sorrow awaits you. If you begin to shape your own identity or allow something else to shape your identity other than God, 
The, the, this verse here says, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator. Look at this. Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, it's crazy when you read it right there from the word of God, stop, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. So what is this verse saying to us? I'm being very fundamental for a reason because we all have the propensity to have sorrow in our lives because we want to argue with God about our identity. What does it teach us? Number one, the potter is the designer. The clay submits to the potter and the clay becomes what the potter wants it to be. The clay submits to the potter because the potter is the designer. If you wanna know how something works and you wanna understand its intentionality, you always wanna go to the designer and he's the potter and we are the clay. It's not always easy. I've had multiple moments in my life where it's like, God, I, I'm watching myself on this wheel and I'd like to know what you're up to because it doesn't make sense to me right now. Had multiple ones. One of the stories I love to tell because it was the most identity-shaping moment in my life. I talk about it frequently, but I remember a moment in my early 20s when I was graduating from college and then, I, I mean, I had started preaching at 16. I had found myself having lots of ministry opportunities. I was closing in on finishing my degree. I had married my beautiful wife and I became a senior pastor. And without going into all the details, I was a young pastor. I didn't do everything right. They were stuck in a heritage and a tradition that did not make for a good mix. All in all, here's the point. I had a lot of identification in having ministry success early in my identity. I had a lot of identification in the fact that the leaders of my particular group saw potential in me and they had punched my golden ticket to success and I was leaning on all of those things. Well, it came to a day where the whole thing blew up and I took my beautiful new wife with my Baylor degree and my senior pastor title and I took all my belongings and I moved in with my in-laws. And for six months, God taught me something that I still lean on today. I'm not telling you that just like you, that I don't find some identity in what I do because when you find your purpose and you really live your purpose, it's very exhilarating, it's very exciting to wake up every day knowing you're doing exactly what God's called you to do. But one of the things that helps me keep perspective that no matter how great Milestone Church is going, no matter how much, there's still an anchor that takes me back to that six month moment where God separated what I do from who I am. And that was not an easy process. It's like, oh Lord, you're putting some pain on the clay. You ever had moments where God's pushing on the clay? And you know, I even had to come to a moment that I thought God literally took me to the breaking point to where I didn't know if I would even ever be a pastor. And I had to come to the place to say, but I'll serve you anyway. I'll serve you anyway, I'll live for your purposes, I'll surrender myself. And that was a moment that still shapes me today. You may not be able to relate to the details of that story, but you may be living that story, and here's what I encourage you to do. 
Stay confident in the fact he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing and submit to it. So let's talk a little bit though practically because you're like, okay, I'm gonna submit to it. I need to find my identity in Christ and not what I do or the opinions of others. How do we do that? What does that practically look like, Jeff? How do we really do that? Because I wanna, I wanna cooperate with God, so how do I do that? Number one, you have to resolve that God knows you better than anyone, and then when you know he knows you better than even you know you, you celebrate his design. Ephesians 2.10 gives us the answer to the who am I question. For we are his workmanship. We are his design. We are his workmanship. I love the message version of this. The message paraphrase uses a beautiful picture of workmanship and calls it a masterpiece. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his masterpiece design. I wanna give you another picture that I give you in the book when you think about a masterpiece, what's some mind-blowing, worth more than you could imagine kind of image that we could think about? And I thought about these two pieces of art, the Jackson Pollock 17A there that looks like the back wall of a paintball warehouse. Quite interesting what you think of it or don't think of it. The Jackson Pollock 17A sold for $200 million. Yeah, everybody's 200 million. It's a lot of zeros. Rothko's number 10 on the right for 80 plus million dollars. As you look, friends, $300 million worth of masterpiece artwork. Someone's willing to say it's valuable enough to spend that much money. Here's the cool thing about a verse like Ephesians 2.10. The most mind-blowing numeric figure value placed on any piece of art or work or masterpiece. God says, you're my design, you're worth a whole lot more. You say, why is that important? That anchors your soul. You're not trying to prove, you're not trying to impress, and here's something that we all need to embrace in our identity. Many times, we're the hardest on ourselves. I'm not talking about having a desire to improve or to grow or to develop or to get better or to compromise in areas that do not align with God's standards. Hear me on this, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, Sometimes, because we're not submitted to the potter, we're critiquing stuff that's part of his design. We're critiquing our quirks. We're critiquing this thing. We're critiquing that, and God's like, look, I've shaped you this way. If you would cooperate with me a little bit, I wanna use that to further my glory. I wanna use that, because by the way, beforehand, I had actually prepared you with those things. That's encouraging, isn't it? We're encouraged by that. And it's like, okay, as encouraging as that is, wait a minute, if we're his masterpiece, we have works prepared beforehand, why is this so difficult? Why is this so hard? Why is it hard to see? Well, that brings us to number two. Recognize, and this is how you really get to it, and this is really so, so important, 
to the process. You have to recognize that sin separates you from the purpose, person you were created to be. So see, see I, want, I know some of you, you may know some of this, but, but, but many of you may not know. You're like, why is identity such a big hurdle? Why is it so hard to get to that place of security and who God's called you to be and not living to impress, but living to walk out the purposes that he has for you? Why do emotions overtake us? Why do we find ourselves so critical of ourselves? Why, why? Well, it starts at a very foundational level and this is gonna guide us through the entire series. McKinney, I want you to get this. This is gonna be right there in this series for us, so very important, and that's this. Genesis says, Genesis 1:27, you were created in the image of God. You were created and fashioned by God, but here's what happens to those vessels. They get broken because of sin. And sin's not just what you have done, and there's plenty of that that you've done and I've done, Plenty of it where we've missed the mark, where we've made the comment, where we've thought the thought, or maybe where we went off the reservation to do something we knew did not align with God's desire for us. We've all had those moments. Sin, according to the Bible, by the way, is not only the things you have done, it's the things that you do with the wrong motives. So we've even done stuff with the wrong motives that's wrong. We've thought the thoughts, we've, we've participated in the actions. Sometimes it's our sin, sometimes it's other people's sin that have influenced us and found us in a place of brokenness. And so what happens is our, we get broken, we get fractured. There's a perfect image, like my kids' iPhones. I don't know, I don't know this brother over here on 1709 here in Keller who repairs screens, we've kept him in business. Put a case on it, man. No, it's not cool, Dad. Bam. How many of y'all seen the person walking around with their phone and it's all cracked? You just look at it and go, you need help, brother. You know, it's just, it's just messed up. It doesn't matter how good your camera is if the whole screen's cracked. Well, our screen has been cracked by, by sin. It fractures it mars the image of God. You say, what's the answer to getting out of that? We all want to worship a perfect potter, a perfect intentional designer. No one wants to have a relationship with an imperfect God. The problem is to have a relationship with a perfect God, you can't have your imperfectness. So we're broken and it separates us from him. It separates us from the abundant life we have today and it separates us from an abundant life in all eternity with him. I put this illustration in the book and I use it frequently because I found it to be the greatest mental picture of what happens when the ultimate moment comes to change your identity. And see, this potter's not just working on the outside. If you understand the message of Jesus, he comes to start working from the inside out. How many of you travel for a living? How many of you do a lot of travel? How many of you have ever been in one of these? How many of you at McKinney say, I've been in one of those? All right, if you've been in one of those, 9-11 changed how we travel. Now we have, to, we have to get rid of anything that could hurt us or others on the other side. You can't have any knives, you can't have any guns, you can't have played with anything explosive. And so you have to get screened and scanned and checked and then you can't carry water. Water's dangerous, I guess, some of you that know the science behind it, but you can't have the Coke you bought, you can't, you can't bring any of it in. And so they scan you. And I'm gonna tell you, one day you'll stand before God 
There's all the jokes at work, St. Peter and this and that. There'll be no jokes. There'll be nobody to stand with. It won't matter if your uncle was a pastor. It won't matter how many good things you've done. To gain entrance into a relationship with a perfect God and to change your identity now, you have to have the brokenness fixed that's on the inside of you. You have to have the perfectness that comes from something you can't make perfect. So I was standing in a travel line one day and I saw that scanner and I thought, what a great image of what Jesus did. You step up to the scanner and the person goes, you'll never pass the scan. Jesus says, move out of the way, scan me. We get his perfect scan. There's no grading on a curve. It's not, the biggest misnomer in our world today is, I just need to get better. If I'm better than the heathen friend that I have, if I'm better than this person, if I do enough good things to where emotionally I feel better. Jesus didn't come to make people better. He came to make you right. He came to make you righteous. Not a righteousness based on you, but a righteousness based on his rightness. So that's what happens at the cross. God makes him to become sin on your behalf. He becomes sin on that cross and takes the broken screen of the iPhone of your life, the broken pottery, and then you make an exchange with him. Your brokenness for his rightness and your identity is forever changed. If you read in the New Testament, the apostle Paul goes back over and over and over and over with these two words, in Christ, in Christ. In Christ I now live. In Christ, I'm dead to this old life. I'm now in Christ. And I'm gonna tell you, if you let the world, if you let your heritage, if you let your family, if you let your successes, if you let your failures, if you let any of it define you, you will have sorrow. But you talk about a strength to wake up every day and say, look, I know how I'm gonna face the challenges of my world today and become more of who he's created me to be. You know when that happens? It's when you know I'm in Christ. My main identity is found in who he says that I am. As I've signed many, many books here in different places, I sign, I hope this book encourages you to become who he says you are in Christ. And I put this little verse right here, Colossians 3.3. 3. It's very powerful. Colossians 3.3 3 says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. The real life you're looking for is found when you surrender your whole self and let Jesus Christ change your identity. Here's number three. Number three is you have to remember God's looking for progress, not perfection. Your, your strength in your identity in Christ and being who he says you are in the who am I question, it's found over time in your walk with God. And we want it to be a microwave thing. It's like, okay, Jeff, I've made that decision. Why do I still have the feelings of inadequacy? Why do I still have the challenges and struggles? Because it doesn't happen overnight. You just keep taking steps with Jesus. You keep letting him shape you. You stay on that potter's wheel. You let him keep forming you. And over time, it's not just something that happens instantly. It happens over time as you lean back into who he says you are. 
And so he's not looking for perfection, he's looking for your progress along the way. Did you know, many times we think, man, I thought I would outgrow all this insecurity. I thought I would outgrow all of this need for affirmation. I thought I would outgrow the feelings of I'm not living up to who I am. I thought I would outgrowing it. Look, time doesn't change your identity. Time doesn't change your identity. You, you can be 60 and immature, or you can be 20 and mature. I hear people all the time, I thought by now I'd get past it. No, 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 no. Life experience can be the teacher of fools. I'm gonna tell you, for me, I look back at 20-year-old Jeff and some of the things I did and how I handled things, and you know what, I, I wanna say a few things to him. There were some things he did right, there were some things he did wrong. 30-year-old Jeff, 35-year-old Jeff, 40-year-old Jeff, I say, look, even to this day, I'm still growing in my identity in Christ, but I wanna tell you, as a young, young boy, I made a decision, and I like to say it took. At 12 years old, I gave my full life to Jesus Christ, and I was not perfect, and I'm not perfect today, but I started learning how to find my identity in that and not in the things around me. So I was translated from an old life that looks myopically at myself all the time and was taught to look at my identity in Christ. And you know what'll happen? Five years, 10 years, 15 years, if you stay in Christ, you develop a relationship with him, you don't get hung up on all your imperfections, but you make progress, you'll look up one day and you'll see the character and nature of Christ starting to come out of your life. That's what will happen. But I'm gonna tell you, if you let anything else define you, we're all asking the who am I question, anything else will let you down. It will let you down and there'll be sorrow. And when we don't allow the potter to shape us and we argue with the potter, it stops us from the progress God has for our lives. As a pastor, you say, Jeff, why do you want us to go on this journey? One, it's been meaningful for me, but I've also seen it as I've walked with people, as I interact with people, I've seen how identity, where you find your identity can stop you in your journey. And my dream for my life is to help you become everything God's called you to be. The dream for my life. I was looking at the back of my phone this morning as I was praying. One of the scriptures I have on my phone is this admonition to present every person complete in Christ. I pray that over you almost every single day, that you would become complete, that you would become who God's called you to be. But identity struggles will stop you from the complete fulfillment of everything God has for you. I think about how identity stops us from ever even gaining interest into the presence of God. One of the stories that has marked me was at our old building. I got word from some people that there was a man who had sat several weeks in the parking lot and would not come into the worship center because he saw himself as unworthy to come in. You hear it all the time. Man, I, I can't go in there. It's like those are people that got it all together. I, I can't participate in that. If I came in there, the roof would fall in. Well, it didn't fall in when we came in. And I just it emotionally moved me to think that there was somebody sitting on the outside that the devil had so lied to them in their identity that they can't even come and grow in Christ because and sat in the car and someone had to go and say, hey, you can come in. You can come in here. I think about how pain, 
The last thing that happened before we left our old building to come to this building, the very last event, the very last thing that I ever did was at the end of a membership class, a guy came up to me literally weeping and sobbing and I held him in my arms as he began to describe to me the pain in his family and how he had just been on pause for a long time because of all the things that had happened to his family and to his children. And I thought, how the devil works on some painful circumstance to tell you that it's not available for you anymore. That's the last thing that happened. We get emails of testimonies all the time. I got two this week from our pastoral care department of two ladies who went through our freedom ministry. And I read it, I mean, they, they typed out, here's everything God did. They went through the freedom small group and we'll have that this year and they came to the freedom event and the whole story is about the brokenness and the abuse of others and the painful situations and the choices they made due to the pain they had and you just read it and your heart goes out to it. But you know what the theme of it is? You know where freedom was found? It was in a moment in that setting when they saw, you know what, God loves me. God values me. God has a plan for me. These things don't have to define me anymore. I can be who he says I am. And so it goes. No matter where you're at, one thing holding back your next step is how you're answering that who am I question. I wanna answer it for you, who are you? You're not an accident. Even if your parents didn't want you, God did. You're not insignificant. He's got a plan for you. And you're not unwanted. He wants you more than he needs you. I love to tell people this all the time privately. Look, he not only loves you, he likes you. He likes you. And when you know he's like that, you know what you do? Go ahead, Potter. Go ahead, I trust you. I trust you. If that's who you are, you really love me and care about me, I submit to you. You are uniquely created. There's never been another you. He's fashioned you beforehand for things he's uniquely created you to do. And when you find your identity in Christ, you don't participate in the sorrow that comes from arguing with God. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me. And I wanna pray for you right now. The first group I wanna pray for is you say, Jeff, I've never made that surrender, that moment of surrender moment in my life where I really yielded to him. That's the most important thing. You're not gonna overcome the question by yourself. It's when he starts to live on the inside of you. And you can simply say, Jesus, here I am, I submit to you. I believe you paid the price for me, you took my place, and I surrender myself to you. I believe you rose from the dead. Come in and be my Jesus. Be my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you now to take some steps. Come to 101, I wanna meet you. Step out and let someone know so we can help you. But that's the most important decision you'll ever make because now you can find your identity in Jesus. Second group of people I wanna pray for, whether by video or McKinney or here, I wanna pray for you right where you're at. And I want you just to say, God, I trust you. Just between you and him, you know what you're doing. I'm gonna start celebrating what you're doing in my life. I trust you, I wanna find my identity in you, not all these other things. Just breathe that in. Let that anchor your soul. 
Let that bring a security and a peace to your life. Who are we, God? We're who you say we are. Our identity is found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 